Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, Gibbons PC, the Russell Berry Foundation, making a difference, the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, Johnson & Johnson, MD Advantage Insurance Company, St. Joseph's Health, world-class care just around the corner, ADP, always designing for people, and by the Adler Aphasia Center, enriching the lives of people with aphasia, their families, and communities. Promotional support provided by New Jersey Family Magazine, a resource for New Jersey parents. And by CIANJ and Commerce Magazine. Welcome to Think Tank. I'm Steve Adubato. I'm joined by my colleague um, and also the co-host with me on uh, Think Tank on here on News 12 Plus, Nicole Swinerton, our senior producer. How are we doing, Nicole? Doing great. How about you? Doing all right. Listen, we're taping this on November the 5th. So much going on right now. It'll be seen later. We will know, hopefully, who the president is. But here's the question. What is the role of the courts in all this? Not just elections, but what role do they play in public policy? What role do they play in our lives, the Supreme Court? And we're gonna kick this off with an interview with Professor Paula Francisi from Seton Hall University Law School. Why is that so important, Nicole? It's a really important interview. Paula talks about, really looks back on the life and legacy of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and she put that in context with uh, the role of the Supreme Court today, uh, being now filled by uh, the new justice, Amy Coney Barrett, and how that could impact the next couple years and really the future. So it's the role of the Supreme Court in, uh, in all of society. You know, we, we often talk about, you know, the government being the chief executive, be it the president, the governor, whomever, and the legislature, Congress, state legislature. But the courts are huge. The courts get involved in all kinds of cases. Uh, dare we say 1973, uh, Roe versus Wade? Dare we talk about the oh, health care, the Affordable Care Act? These things may be adjudicated by the courts, not Congress, not the president. So the courts are a massive part of our lives. That's right. And Paula says uh, one thing that I found really compelling. She says the court is really a catalyst for change in a less than equal society. And it's really yeah. a mirror to our changing culture. And I think that she uh, explains that well and, and we really realize how important they really are. Hey, Nicole, real quick, tell everyone who underwrites this program. Sure, we'd love to thank Horizon, Gibbons PC, the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, and St. Joseph's Health. And by the way, to make it clear that Think Tank here on News 12 Plus and on other platforms is eclectic, we have a follow-up interview with Jen Sherman, my favorite Peloton instructor. Yeah, from the Supreme Court, to riding your bike, fitness and health and taking care of yourself. Important, right, Nicole? It is really important. I think that everybody today is going through a really stressful year. So she talks about the importance of exercise to supporting your mental health, physical health. And I know, Steve, uh, you're a big fan of Peloton and she really made me want to get one myself. We will not turn this into a uh, commercial for Peloton, but whatever you do, take care of yourself first and your family, everyone around you. Hey, thank you, Nicole. Thank you. Without further ado, 
This is Think Tank. Hi, I'm Steve Adubato. Welcome to another remote edition of our program. It is our honor to welcome our good friend. Last time she was in the studio, backed by popular demand, Paula Francisi is uh, the Peter W. Rodino Professor of Law and Director of the Leadership Fellows Program at Seton Hall University Law School. Good to see you, Professor. Wonderful to see you, Steve. Uh, not many people know more about the judiciary, about the Supreme Court than you do. Question. Before we talk about the larger issues of the Supreme Court, we're taping on the 1st of October. A lot of things are going to happen before this is seen. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, 27 years on the court, the second woman to serve on the Supreme Court. Her greatest impact will be, oh. has been? Her radical project, in her words, that it was more than the law, it would be society that would come to perceive women and men as equal. If she hadn't done that, Paula, do you believe it would have been done at all or at a different pace? At, certainly at a different pace and with a, a different framing and conceptualization, Justice Ginsburg was supremely effective first as a litigator, as an advocate for all of us, for the public interest, for the societal interest in gender equality. And then as a jurist, what's interesting to me is that she began her career on the bench and I don't like labels, but if we did have to ascribe a label, she was more of a centrist. And it hmm. was only as the court shifted uh, significantly to the right that she became known as its most vociferous dissenter, the notorious RBG. That's right. You know, it's so interesting, Paul. You mentioned, you mentioned shifting the right, progressive, liberal left. Larger question. As we do this program, there's a presidential election going on. There will be a, either a new president or Donald Trump will remain president. There'll be another member of the Supreme Court. It could be um, the nominee as we speak right now. We don't know. But here's the question that I keep asking myself. Is it the role of the court to be a policymaker or to be an interpreter of the Constitution and the law, which has a lot of people confused and concerned right now. The court is by design, constitutional design, not the popularly elected branch. It is the role of the coordinating branches, the executive and legislative, to do the will of the people with enactment, legislative and through executive orders. The court is charged with interpreting the Constitution, but invariably, in so many matters, there is involved a mix of individual and collective interests. Think about Brown versus Board of Education. Right. Uh, think about the, the, the quest for equality along all metrics. The court is oftentimes a catalyst for uh, a change in a less than equal society and often a mirror, mirroring back to we the people, the changing norms, our changing culture. Yeah, but what's interesting, you mentioned Brown versus the Board of Education, I believe, uh, Topeka in 1954. It was Justice Thurgood Marshall who argued the case before he was uh, a justice, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then what's so interesting is that Justice Ginsburg winds up arguing before the Supreme Court before she is put on the Supreme Court. 
But the question becomes, if in fact it reflects, if the court is supposed to reflect the public and the court shifts more to the right, my question becomes, does that truly reflect the will of the people or the will of this particular president at this particular time with this particular Senate at this particular time, which is a different thing? Yeah, so it's a wonderful and vitally important question for all of us in a participatory democracy. We would hope that a court, any court, would transcend the furies of a particular moment politically in time. Uh, and the court actually has, has surprised us over time by defying the labels and defying the expectations. Just this past term, we found that the center held, as a consequence, a surprise mm. to some pundits, of the judicial branch. We had all sorts of unexpected ideas ideological alliances involving justices presumed to be to the left and to the right. Because they agreed on the law, apparently. Yeah, because of, I think, two important guiding precepts. Uh, one is the value of what's called stare decisis. That's the norm that would uphold and honor the value of precedent in the law, that precedent matters, uh, lest the court erode its legitimacy and its authority. And, and the second has to do with uh, the court, as Chief Justice Roberts has, has often said, uh, calling the strikes and calling the balls, right. uh, deciding with, a, with a, a certain, we would hope, impartiality that would transcend, again, so many of the ideological fervors, particularly of this very polarizing time. Okay, so let me follow up on this. By the way, if you're listening on the audio side, Steve Adubato here with our good friend from Seton Hall University Law School, Professor Paula Francisi. Um, Professor, how about this? Amy Coney Barrett, her position on Roe, uh, Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade is very clear. The president, as we speak, President Trump, has made it very clear that where he is on that. Mitch McConnell has made it very clear where he is on that. Is it relevant to be asking nominees to the Supreme Court about their views on these issues, whether it's Roe v. Wade, whether it's the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare? Is that relevant beforehand if, in fact, they are there to interpret the Constitution and the law? I don't know that Judge Barrett's positions on some of the lightning rod touchstone issues, including those you mentioned, is actually all that clear. Huh. Mindful that her service on the U.S. Supreme Court is, is different from any commentary she would have provided previously as an, as an esteemed scholar, as uh, a very, very fine educator named three-time professor of the year by the students who hold her in such high esteem. At Notre Dame? Yeah. And what I... But so what I, hold on one second, Paul. Are you saying that what one says in commentary, what one may say in another venue, as soon as they put on those robes and sit as an associate justice of the United States Supreme Court, where you stand may depend upon where you, in fact, sit? It, it depends on the totality of the record that is brought before mm. the court. Uh, judges, 
justices, we would hope are able to transcend whatever their personal beliefs hmm. might be in order to do right, in order to do what is just, in order to do what is honorable, given the entirety of the record before the court. Yeah. You know, the other thing, and again, we don't know how this is going to play out. We don't know who's going to win this election for president. But if, assume for a second, and in the first presidential debate, which we will not discuss, um, people can decide for themselves. Joe Biden was asked several times by Chris Wallace about the, quote, packing of the Supreme Court, which was attempted, if I'm not mistaken, by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, um, and he was pushed back on that. Nine justices of the Supreme Court. Biden never answered that question. By the time this airs, he may, will answer, may answer it publicly. Here's the question. What are the implications of potentially going from nine justices to 12 or 15? Because Democrats at some point may believe, you know something? We need to balance this out ideologically, you say? It is not a good idea. From my vantage point, we know that it failed miserably in 1937 when FDR endeavored to pack the court in order to assure passage of a good part of his New Deal legislation. It was the passage he could be assured of, but not the U.S. Supreme Court endorsement and upholding of the legitimacy and constitutionality of some of that statutory language. His attempt to pack the court backfired. And, Why is it a bad idea, Professor? Oh, my goodness, because I think Steve, in, in my capacity as a political scientist and an astute observer of the court, that a court that is perceived as beholden to the will of the party in power loses so much of its legitimacy. Because sure, to the extent that um, the Democrats regain control of the executive and legislative branch. Hypothetically, we don't know and, what's going to happen. Go ahead. Of course, a pure hypothetical. And also in the banter and scuttlebutt, the talk about increasing the court's composition to 13 as a consequence Oof. to assure a democratically appointed majority. What happens the next election cycle when perhaps it's the other way and the Republicans say, let's go to 16. Precisely. And where does it end? We need to assure that the court is is maintains some presumption of independence that it is not simply a vehicle an instrument a tool to serve the interests of the party in power one, one more quick one and we have about a minute left uh professor paula francisa from seton hall university uh, law school i need to ask you we don't know what's going to happen with the nomination of amy coney barrett but do you believe that literally weeks couple months, month before an election, it is appropriate to have that nominee put up before the Senate, or should the election be held, and then whomever wins, that person nominates the potential justice of the Supreme Court, or associate justice? Yeah, the problem is that any... Um 
any diligent and and thorough answer to that question, Steve, as as we both know, uh, becomes tainted by the fierce partisanship and the accusations that are hurled on both sides of the aisle. Uh, the R is saying that the D's would have done it had the roles been switched. The D's saying, no, we didn't, putting forth Gar um, Judge Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland, you stopped us last time and you said right. it was wrong and now it's right. right. But there was more time for Judge Garland. There's less time now. Yeah. And oh, my goodness. It, 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 real quick, before I let you go, how frustrating is this aspect of the discussion for you who loves the law? You love the yeah. law. This isn't and about law. It's about politics. Right. I, lo I love the law so deeply. I believe in its promise to bend that arc of justice towards rightness and equity and equality. Uh, I, I treasure my role within the ranks of our noble profession, but I do fear for what is becoming of a national and civic discourse. We're seeing a devolution of the ethics of civility, and words matter. I, I believe that um, all of us as Americans, so proud of our great uh, ideals and aspirations, we're better than all of that. Yeah. Um, Professor Francisi, there's so much more to say. I assure you, you will be back, um, and we'll continue the conversation. Paula, my friend, for many years, uh, we wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you for all you do, Steve. Thanks, Paula. We'll be right back after this. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. Hi, I'm Ira Robbins. At Valley, we believe in helping our local neighborhoods and improving the lives of everyone we serve. We work hard every day to make a difference for our employees, clients, and communities. That's why we're proud to support the programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation. This is Steve Arbato on Cut. I'm here with my favorite Peloton instructor, Jen Sherman. Jen, how you doing? I'm okay. I'm hanging in there, Steve. Thank you for having me. Well, this is, I usually I disclose when we're connected to some uh, underwriter or sponsor what we're doing, if, if they're supporting a particular uh, cause or whatever will disclose it, but I need to disclose that, and I said this to Jen Sherman before we get on, that my wife Jen and I have been writing to Jen Sherman from day one, um, and along with countless others, she has helped us get through, we're taking on September the 2nd, helped us get through the last six months, I'm sure, beyond. I'm sorry for going on, Jen. Um, make it personal, because you've talked about the struggle and the challenges for you as well. Yeah, um, the insanity of the last six months. Uh, so we just had a moment off air where I said to you, you thanked me for helping get you through the last six months. And I said, listen, I know what you're feeling and I know what you mean because I've been riding for my own sanity with uh, my teammates for the last uh, six months as well. I didn't have a bike before COVID, as crazy as that sounds to people. Look at your expression. I didn't have a bike. Um, I don't know why I didn't have a bike. It's not even... I, in I your home? I never had a bike in my house. I know it's crazy, but it was sort of like... I don't need a bike, that's my job. You know, I can review all the footage I need like from my room, I don't, I don't want a bike. And then I got the damn bike and I haven't been off the bike. Um, I don't take my own classes, I don't like to watch myself back, I don't like to listen to myself, I don't like to do that, but I have been relying on my amazing teammates to get me through this as well. Um, yeah. Because it's uh, it's just been necessary, you know. I yeah, it's just I've needed it. Some background on Jen Sherman. By the way, I was on Jen's 
This won't all be about my riding with John, I promise. Uh, but I remember Jen's last ride from her home. Yeah. Because um, they, they opened up a studio and then, then they're in their home and now you're back in the studio, correct, with nobody in there, right? No, no, no. Um, no riders. Nobody's in that class. But I remember Jen was thanking her team. And so I want to make sure that I thank all of our team behind the scenes. They're extraordinary because I would not, we would not, with our partners in public broadcasting, be able to do this. That being said, Jen, you're, you're born and raised in New Jersey. That's right. You, you're a proud Jersey girl. Oh, I'm so proud. You love Springsteen. I do love Springsteen. Even though Billy Joel's from out Long Island, you play him a lot as well, right? You love music, which is a huge part of who you are and what you do. Talk about it. Yeah, you know, the music is a huge part. I, I joke and I kid and I say, it's not even about the work on the bike, it's about the damn music for me. But I'm not really supposed to say that, Steve. I fell in love with indoor cycling um, over a decade ago, more than that, because I found an instructor who had a similar taste in music as I did. And so I would clip into a bike in that room and that playlist would start and I would just get lost. You know what I'm saying? I, I always say there are a lot of workouts out there. You know, most, most, you know, classes, fitness classes that you take, there's some music playing in the background, but it is nearly as critical in any other workout as it is in indoor cycling. The music and the playlist is a journey and it's a story and it's really important to me and I'm a psychopath about it and I take it really seriously. Every playlist to me is like a creation. It's my way to express myself and it's a way to take you and uh, my loyal riders on a journey. It's an escape. It's always been an escape, but in the last- yeah, I'm sorry for interrupting, go ahead, finish your point. Say, but in the last six months, man, knowing that we've all needed this escape more than ever. So the playlist is everything, music is my life and I've been a music fan as long as I can remember, literally. Let me make this connection. One of my favorite interviews that we did when we were in the studio, when I promise we'll be back in our studio at 66 in Broadway at WNET, the Tisch WNET studio. One of my favorite interviews there was with Beth Stern, uh, Howard Stern's wife, Beth. Okay. And my, we listened to Howard and he is the best, as, as anyone who listens knows, he's the best broadcaster, um, I, I've, best interviewer as well. He writes to you, I think Beth does as well. Um, his obsession with you, it's a healthy one, I know, um, but what has that done for you? Well, just a and what does it mean to you? Yeah, just a little bit of background. You, you probably have heard me talk about this. You may know this, but for, for your listeners who don't know it, I am a 30-plus year Howard Stern devoted listener. Same I, here. Right, so I am a super fan, as, as they call us. Um, I found out early on that Howard was poking around and had some interest in getting a Peloton bike. And from that day on, that wasn't even pu public knowledge when I had first heard it. I was, uh, I was shaking in my boots and I, and I'll tell you why. Um, long story short, he went on to get the bike and it was very public because Howard discusses everything on the air. The day that he was going up to Peloton corporate offices to, um, get a little private lesson on how to use the bike and all that stuff. He talked about it on the air earlier that day. So I had heard that Howard Stern was interested in getting a bike. And then I, it was confirmed to me that he did indeed get the bike. And I was a wreck. And I was a wreck because, well, obviously, you know, if you know Howard, you know why I was a wreck. Um, yeah. But you know what, Steve? So he loves me and he loves my classes. And that is still mind blowing to me. It's mind boggling to me. But I adore him so much. He has gotten me through so many hard days. He has been a part of my life going back to, I can't really say the, the, the NBC days, but 
certainly the beginning of the K-Rock days, you know, I've been, I've been listening. And so I was really just afraid that he would come across my class and hate it. And as much as I'm a big girl and I can take punches and I can take criticism, for my hero, for my, I mean, I've got Springsteen and I've got Howard. They're like, those two are everything to me. So if Howard was to have taken a ride of mine and, and not liked it or said bad things, it would have been crushing to me. And so uh, it didn't happen that way. It's, uh, as I say, it's mind blowing that he's loving my rides, but most important, he loves the bike, which is um, incredible. Yep. Yeah. And by the way, um, by way of background, uh, check out our interview with <clears throat> Mr. Foley, John Foley, who is the, yeah. uh, the founder, co-founder of uh, uh, Peloton. To what degree, because so much of it is personal, and, and you talk about each other in such a positive way, in a collegial way, is, is, even in the few remote days, yeah. or being remote, does it feel like a family, Peloton? Oh, it is a, it is a family. It is my second family. Um, here's what I'll say. Peloton, as you know, has grown exponentially. What's gone on over the last six to seven years is mind-blowing. But we are the only ones that know what this feels like. You know, I am a suburban mom of now teenagers. I was, I was teaching rides six years ago at Peloton and running back to get my ass on carpool line. You know, picking up, driving to and from the soccer field. I wasn't made of being, I, I'm not from an entertainment background. I was never a professional dancer. I never. A lot of your colleagues are, have that background. A lot of my colleagues have it and good for them. You know, I, I showed up like knocking on Foley's door, like, hi, I love indoor cycling. Uh, I'm really good at this. I make a good playlist. And he, and, you know, we had a great first conversation. I mean, the Foley story is now legendary and yep. one that I'm really proud of. But can I just say right here, right now, though, I got to throw it in how much I adore John Foley. What a genius. Because. Is. Because. He is, not only is he brilliant, but a lot of people, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people that are out to conquer the world, they have a similar style in the way that they treat others. It's like hardcore and it's cutthroat. And for a lot of people, that might be the only way to succeed. John Foley is the absolute antithesis of that. He is a family man, and I'm not just talking about his two kids and his wife. We are his family. He treats us like family. He's just such a good dude. I love him, I adore him, and I thank him all the time, still seven years in for giving me this opportunity because this, you know, this story for me is just, um, it's an amazing story for someone that was looking for a second career because my kids were growing up and I wanted something to do. Um, to be a part of this journey has been wild, a wild ride. Well, let, let me do this. First of all, I'm gonna remind folks, go, go to steveadobato.org and check out the Foley interview, John Foley, it is exceptional. And um, I don't know him, obviously, the way Jen does, but he gave us that sense. Jen, before I let you go, I just want to say this to you. <clears throat> Much of what we do talks about the impact of COVID in so many ways, on businesses, not-for-profits, health care, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the emotional and mental health issues that are so real um, that people need help in dealing with, all of us do. Uh, I'll repeat myself. I don't think you'll ever know or ever realize the true impact that you and your colleagues are having. Um, and by the way, if someone finds another, and we don't want to promote Peloton in this way, but if, if you find another way to do it, go for it. Just right. for me, for my wife, for our family, um, Jen Sherman and her colleagues have made all the difference. So just thanks, Jen. I don't want to go on. I'm blathering on. That's awesome. Thank you, Steve. Um, you know, this is these kinds of words, these kinds of messages that I've 
been receiving the last six months. They are so moving. They are so telling. It is so real. And I get it because I'm telling you, I have my breakdowns. I've had many over the last six months, right? Trying to navigate and figure out this crazy new world we're in at the moment. You know, children in the house, school, sending my kid back to college. You know, I love being a Peloton instructor, but I'm a mom and a family person first. And so I get the emotions of what all these people are experiencing, including yourself. I'm in it with you, my friend. I'm in it with you. I'm going to clip in in a couple hours and take a Hannah Frankson's carnival ride because I need to blow off some steam. So Hannah's awesome as well. Hey, listen, Jen, thank you. I look forward to seeing you on the bike. If you can't see us, we can see you. Um, and uh, wish you and your family all the best. Great job on that Gary V uh, interview, by the way. I'm a huge fan of Gary's and loved every word of that. Thank you for that. Thanks so much, Jen. That's right. Jen Sherman. I'm Steve Adubato. This is Uncut. Thanks yeah. for watching. Valley's all about making life easier for clients. And that's why we're all about smiles, too. So every day, we make it possible for home buyers to become homeowners. For folks chasing their dreams to become entrepreneurs. For parents to plan today for their children's tomorrow. And for communities to get better every day. You see, when we know we've put a smile on a customer's face, well, that puts one on ours, too. Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, Gibbons PC, the Russell Berry Foundation, the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, Johnson & Johnson, MD Advantage Insurance Company, St. Joseph's Health, ADP, and by the Adler Aphasia Center. Promotional support provided by New Jersey Family Magazine and by CIANJ and Commerce Magazine. Being a kid is all about playing, laughing, and having fun. Doing what they do best, from rolling in leaves to building a snowman. But when illness or injury slows your little one down, you want the best pediatric care possible. Turn to the experts at the St. Joseph's Children's Hospital to get your superhero feeling super again. St. Joseph's Health, helping kids be kids.